Hello and thank you for joining us once again for another episode of the Play Sheet podcast. And Joe, we're getting closer and closer to what Super Bowl is going to look like. Are you excited? I'm very excited, Charles. I'm very excited. We've still got a good round of conference games first and I'm pretty excited about them as well. Oh, I wish we didn't. I'm nervous, I'll be honest. <laughs> but uh, this week we're going to just pull out some of the key elements from some of the things that happened in last week's games and focus in on, on some of the big important factors. We'll, of course, as always, give you our predictions for next week. We're getting pretty even on those now, Joe. It's getting closer to the end of the season. You've got a little bit of ground to gain. And then, of course, we'll give a bracket update for our competition and we'll talk a little bit about what we've got planned for next week's show, which is going to be slightly different from the regular. So, Joe, with all of that in mind, shall we jump straight into Cleveland Browns versus Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, let's jump straight into that. And I mean, you know, the big thing we've got to talk about first, the cloud that's hanging over the game is the injury to Patrick Mahomes. That happened during the game, resulted in Chad Henney coming in, finishing the game off, but he certainly looked shaky going down the stretch. First of all, Charles, do you see Patrick Mahomes coming back next week? I think it's going to be really, really hard to justify that he can. I mean, when you saw him get up from that initial contact, you've seen that at three in the morning from many people exiting the club. His legs are gone. Absolutely gone. Couldn't support his way. He was doing the chicken walk. He was doing the chicken walk. Absolutely. He, He had to be held up by about three players. And we've seen concussion protocol this season. People are coming back two, three games after the initial contact. I think seeing what we saw at the weekend, it would be a very bad look for the NFL if they rushed him back just one week later, just because he's the main man and it's a really important game. I think it sends the wrong message around the concussion protocol, which the game's already got a bit of a reputation for. Maybe I'm a bit cynical or maybe you're naive and maybe I'm wrong, but I think he will be playing next week. It's the playoffs. It's a conference game. Um... And they'll find no, I, a way. I think they'll do everything they can to get him playing. But then how does that look compared to the consistency that we've seen the rest of the season? But it's a it's a so-called independent neurologist who has no links to a team who are testing him. But what he will know and what he'll be told is everything of how to pass those tests and the right things to say. Because at the end of the day, a concussion is quite hard to actually test for. It's not like, you know, you take a blood sample or, or you do a scan. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of behavioral things that you have to be tested on. And I've never had to pass a concussion test, but I would imagine that if you're prepped on what you have to say and what you have to do, you can get through one. So he'll get through the concussion protocol, I believe. I'd say the bigger thing that might stop him playing, if there was going to be something to stop him playing, is the turf toe. Yeah, because he was uh, he had quite a limp on him, didn't he, at certain points in the game. Turf toe drags out. Like now, we've seen players with turf toe this season who've been, you know, four weeks, five weeks. It lingers. It's not something that just goes away quick. It's a hyperextension of the big toe. And you can't even really rest that aside from just not walking or moving whatsoever. That, I would say, probably is a bigger factor that may influence his game. Because it, there's different types of concussion and different ways that people respond to it. You can get knocked for FO and be absolutely fine within half an hour. You can get you know a tap and it can affect you for a couple of weeks. Assuming that it's the former, let's just assume that the concussion won't affect him. But I think it's a turf toe that's going to be a bigger issue next week. Although the one thing that we probably would say about Mahomes is he's not necessarily known to be a particularly mobile quarterback or one that scrambles necessarily. Oh, he can his, use his leg. He can use his legs when can, he needs to. 
but his game is in his arm. And no, I, I, I don't know, mate. We saw from this game, though, right? Even with the turf toe, he was performing absolutely fine. It wasn't until he got taken out of the game that the Chiefs started slipping. There was discomfort. There was discomfort. And when you got discomfort, it's not so much about your performance. It's kind of what it stops you from doing before you do it. So if you're feeling like, you know, putting weight on that toe is hurting, then you're not going to lean into it and attempt those throws where you have to lean into it. He's probably self-aware enough of his body that he knows what he can and can't do with that kind of injury. So it's not like he's going to do stuff and then look bad doing it. It's just more that he won't attempt things that he might otherwise attempt. So I'm saying that Patrick Mahomes will start. I can't foresee a situation where Patrick Mahomes doesn't start. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that he should start because, you know, for example, if this was rugby, I believe that with the protocols you have in place there, you get knocked out in rugby and you've got, what, two weeks out minimum, something like that? Yeah, it's two to three weeks, I believe, yeah. Like, I think you have to actually sit out two weeks worth as of concussion protocols in rugby. So other sports treat things differently. It's a long kind of, you know, wormhole to get into to be talking about the rights and wrongs of it. But I can't see a situation where Patrick Mahomes is not suiting up on Sunday. But keeping on the subject of head and head injuries, one of the defining plays of this game was what was quite clearly head-to-head contact, which resulted in Higgins fumbling through the end zone. So first of all, on this one, Giles, was it head-to-head? Should it have been a penalty to the Browns? Personally, I don't see how it couldn't be. I mean, the, the man turned himself into a javelin. He didn't even reach out his arms to try and initiate any form of tackle. He just went like speedo, arms tucked in, head first. He went down with his head. He led with his helmet, initiated that head-to-head contact. And, you know, we'll go on to talk about the fumble as well that was the consequence of that. But he made no contact with Higgins' arm or the ball, and it resulted in a fumble because that contact to the head just absolutely knocked him for six. Yeah, now I hate to be or hate to sound like one of those kind of English fans who have to compare things to rugby, but I think that rugby may have some of the answers to this kind of issue here because ultimately helmet to helmet contact will happen. Any sport that you do, heads clashing is always a risk. But when you've made your head probably twice the size, maybe four times the volume with a helmet on, it just increases the likelihood of helmets going to helmet. Now, what you mentioned there was, I think, the clear factor here is that he didn't put his arms out. He didn't try to lead with the shoulder. There was no attempt to make a tackle there whatsoever. It was just, like you say, I'm turning my head into a missile whack. It was helmet to helmet. I think that that, the refs totally got that one wrong. And that was a huge turning point because it took what would have been certainly seven points off the Browns. And then I think that the Chiefs went down the field and scored. Which leads on to the next point, though. You know, there's so much to talk about from incidents in this game. Kansas City got the ball back because it was a fumble out of the end zone. What's your view on that, Charles? Yeah, so my feeling is, as someone that is relatively new to the game, only been following it for three years or so, I struggle to understand why that would be the case. You know, if it if it happens anywhere else on the field, if the ball gets fumbled and it goes out of play, it's an unrecovered ball. I suppose I don't really understand why that would be a, not the case just because it's in and around the end zone. Okay, let me flip that. The rules about it being an unrecoverable ball are the wrong rules. If you're the defense and you force a fumble on the offense and, and they lose the ball and it goes out of bounds, why should they get it back? Like you've done something really good as a defense in forcing a fumble and all you're getting for it is them getting the ball back where the ball went out, which I think is a dumb rule. So I think that the, that the fumble through the end zone rule is right 
But I think that the rule that should change is not that rule, is if you fumble out of bounds, then the defending team should get the ball back. Yeah, so it's a tricky one because then you say, well, you haven't recovered it and fumbles aren't the penalty. It's recovering that fumbles that penalises a team. You lost the ball as the offence. Yeah, but that happens and, and everyone's got equal chance to recover it. No, 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 because you can control how you fumble it. Like you like you might not want to fumble it, but you can fumble it out. You, as the defence, have done your job. You have, you have caused the offence to lose the ball and lose position of the ball. So but then they get it straight back. Like, it's the offense who screwed up there. Ball security is everything. The offense have screwed up and lost the ball. It's their screw up. So then don't make recovery part of that process. Just make it, if you fumble, then it changes possession. There's nothing wrong with the on-field rule of if you recover it, fine. But if it goes out of bounds, I think that's a risk you take. If you're going down the sideline and you fumble it, you're taking more of a risk. I think that just penalises the opposition as harshly as the current rules penalise the defence. No, I don't think it does. Like, the defence are massively penalised here. They are doing the right thing. They're forcing a fumble and the offence are just getting away with it. Yeah, but then equally, if a fumble gets forced and it goes out of play, then you're getting penalised just because you're near the touchline. There are seriously so many rules that favour the offence over the last 20 years. All the rules they've brought in, most of them are fair, you know, about hitting a quarterback and all that kind of stuff. People want to keep the quarterbacks in the game, et cetera, et cetera. Fine. But every single rule that's been brought in favours the offence. It's not balanced. The defence is so much working against it. And this is just another unfair rule that favours the offence massively. It's your job to keep hold of the ball. You are lucky if you fumble it in the field and get to keep it. But fine, right? But you fumble it out of bounds, you've lost the ball. It's gone. You've lost the ball. And so I totally agree with the fumble through the end zone rule that the defence should get it back. I totally agree with that. See, here's the other thing that I take umbrage with, which is the NFL Competition Committee chairman, who's Rich McKay, he was asked a couple of years ago why that rule hasn't been changed. His response to that was, there were eight instances this year, three the year before, and three the year before that. We did not believe it merited a proposal. So essentially, he's saying, we haven't reviewed it because it doesn't happen often enough. I think that's a really bad reason to not look at changing a rule. Yeah, it's all kind of fun and games when that's coming up in, you know, a uh, Denver versus New York Jets game. But when it's the Cleveland Browns against the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional playoffs, it's a different matter. But that said, I think it's the absolute right thing. And I think that if you fumble through the end zone, you lose the ball. That said, I think that there should have been a penalty to start with. Absolutely. (laughs) So don't get me wrong, I still think the Browns should have had the ball. But that part of it, I'm absolutely fine with. And then let's finish our chat about this game with the final play of the game, which was a piece of Andy Reid magic. Do you want to talk us through it, Joe? It was just a mind-blowing play, really. Now, I think that everyone thought when they were lining up, they were just trying to draw the Browns offside, which, you know, coaches do. Everyone does it. And it's not really that effective now because everyone knows it's coming. If you're lining up on fourth down, was it fourth and fourth and four? Fourth and one. Fourth and one. You're lining up on fourth and one. Chances are you're not going for it. You're just trying to draw them offside. You're doing a hard count. But even did a hard count first and faked that. But here's the thing. Henry was in shotgun, right? It would have been believable they might have done it had he been lining up under center because then you think the quarterback sneak is coming or something like that. But the fact he was in shotgun and so it's going to be a pass play, you're not going to pass the ball on fourth and one like that. That's, that's madness. That's madness. There's so much that can go wrong with that. You screw that up and bearing in mind that you know, Chad Henney might have been 6 for 8, but he threw an ugly interception, not, I think, in a previous drive. 
So there's so much that can go wrong. And he went and did it, the madman. It was such an unexpected play. You know, you do stuff like that, you deserve to win the game. And it's going to keep... <laughs> the fact he's done that now is going to have so much benefit in future games as well. Because now every time that they line up on 4th and 1, even if it's shotgun, whatever they're in, they might go and go for it. You just don't know what this Kansas City Chiefs team are going to go and do now. I think that the the thing for me was what you've already pointed out, but it was the fact that Henny, he was bad. So to put the game on the line with him, it was just the play that nobody saw coming. Like, you'd even be surprised if that was Patrick Mahomes. The fact that they went went with Henny, I think just bamboozled everyone and it was glorious. It was absolutely fantastic. If you were sat there with me and we were taking bets on that, I would have given you pretty good odds that they were just trying to draw them offside there. And I think most people kind of watching back at home were as well. So, you know, absolutely great play. Great play. Right. Moving on then to another game which involved a concussion, Baltimore Ravens versus Buffalo Bills. Do you want to pick it up at the concussion point there, Joe? Well, yeah. So it was another concussion that we had here. I think ultimately the concussion didn't have a bearing on the game because I think had Lamar Jackson finished the game, the result would have still been what it was. This game came down to one thing, really. It came down to the pick six, which just turned the game around. You know, the Bills just had a phenomenal defense and they ran their defense. It was a tight game. I think most people thought it would be a tight game. Watching this game, I was frustrated with the Ravens because I felt that the play calling was off. I felt that the play calling, has got, it has got predictable, which is why the Ravens have taken a backward step this year. And, and I know they've won a playoff game. They didn't win a playoff game last year. I think if you look at their record, if you look at the quality of play aside from December, it wasn't really as good as we have seen, especially from Lamar Jackson's second season. And the reason for that, I strongly believe, is play calling. They've got predictable. They should be running more play actions. They're not running enough play actions. And I'm not sure if that's down to personnel, whether you know they don't trust the wide receivers they've got. They don't think that those wide receivers can get separation enough. But... It's predictable, and that's why Lamar Jackson as well, I think, has got frustrated at times this season because defences know what they're doing. Well, look at what we said last week, Joe, that one of the things that we came away saying we were so impressed by the Ravens was their ability to adapt, was how they adapted and they changed during the game. And we started to see a switch from, okay, the running isn't working, so we're going to air it out a bit. They refused to adapt in this game. And whether it was because they saw how the Colts had some success in the run game against the Bills and it looked like they were just refusing to move away from that. They were just going, look, we know we can hurt them in the run game. The Colts did it. We're better than the Colts at running, so we're going to run it no matter what. And the Bills were just ready for them. They knew that they were, as you said, they were predictable. The Bills knew exactly what was going to happen. They set up to stop it and the Ravens didn't try and change or adapt when it wasn't working. And I agree. I think that play calling resulted in the failure of them being able to progress to the next stage. It just feels like there's something missing from this offense. Whereas last season, you know, Lamar Jackson has only thrown over 300 yards once in his career, but that didn't matter so much last season. There were the big throws when you needed the big throws. There were the accurate throws when you needed the accurate throws. And the running game just complemented all of that. But now, you know, they talked about this free-headed running attack and that was getting hyped up before the game. But it wasn't really anything that special. I mean, Dobbins is showing a lot of potential. Edwards is solid. But I mean, there's nothing spectacular there. It's Lamar Jackson that lights it up. 
and once you take away that running game, then there was just there was just not enough in the pass game to to dig them out of a hole. Uh, and we've said all season that they're a team that can only play with a lead. They can't play from behind because they just they just don't have those tools in their locker. It seems. The one thing I would say is let's not shy away from how good particularly the Bills were defensively, but I think both teams had a very, very good defensive game. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I just feel that as a unit across all three levels, the the Bills are very strong. There's been questions about whether their front four can stop the run well enough there, but I think you know they've always had that secondary there, which is immensely strong, immensely strong. The linebackers turned up and they're playing both sides of the field, really. So look, it was a close fought game. There's already the narrative that started up again about Lamar Jackson in playoffs, and it's just nonsense. Just look at all the good quarterbacks that are in the league and look at how many Super Bowls you can win every year. There's only one guy who can win one. He got through to what? To the last eight. You can't always win. And so the fact that this narrative came back after he led his team from a 10 point deficit last week, which, you know, he played out of his skin last week and it was working for him then, it's just boring. He will win playoffs and he will go further than this in his career at some point. It just didn't happen this year. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that game was a failure because Lamar Jackson's a choke job. I don't know. It was a failure because they didn't set up correctly and the Bills' defence was immense. And not only the defence, I was watching Dawkins in this game, the left tackle for the Bills. He was unbelievable. The Ravens didn't stand a chance of getting to Allen. He just held everyone up. He gave Allen so much time to be able to air that ball out. The Bills just stepped it up in a big, big way. Yeah, it was interesting the comments that came from Willie Sneed, though. Willie Sneed thought that there's plenty from that game that Jackson can learn from, and that would be a wake-up call from him. Like, that's a strange thing for your wide receiver to say. I'm not sure if that's just coming from a disappointment because he's not going to be with the Ravens next year, but I mean, a strange thing for a wide receiver to say that. So maybe yeah. maybe there is a little bit of something about Jackson we're not seeing, but I mean, you know, from all the impressions that I've had from everything we've seen, he seems to be a motivated young man. He seems to be trying his best to win, and he seems to be a professional. So strange comment from Snead. Might see if there's more to that in the offseason. So we've talked about both the sets of these teams now. The Bills progress, the Chiefs progress. What is next week going to look like? It's looking tasty, isn't it? It's looking really tasty. I'm working still on, on the assumption that Mahomes is playing. If Mahomes is playing, we could really have a shit out here. This could be, uh, this could be an all-time game. It could also not be. It, it could be tight. You can never call these things. Well, no, I thought last week was going to be a complete shootout and uh, the defences just stepped up in such a big way. It ended up being who had the better defence in the end. I'm hoping that we're going to have Mahomes fit. We're going to have players throwing bombs. It's going to be like when Texas State played Oklahoma a few years ago when you had Mayfield and Mahomes there then. I know it's a different quarterback, but it's the same kind of quarterback using his arm with Josh Allen. It's so hard to call. They're just two very good teams. There's two very good teams. and It's going to come down to the small things. Every single Bills defender is going to have to do every single duty perfectly because if you give up an inch, Mahomes will find that bit of weakness. And there's players there who will definitely take that inch. There's so much to cover there. The one thing that shifts it a little bit is that there's no real run game in Kansas City. That's probably the biggest flaw. I mean, Bell hasn't been that spectacular. Williams was all right. But with CEH, don't get me wrong, I've criticised him and I still stand by his criticism. But there's just not that... There's not as big a threat coming out of the backfield in terms of a short passing game. Well, funnily enough as well, the Bills, we've said, are a very well-rounded team. But in the last game, 
I think they called one run play. They might not have even called one run play before half time. It was either one or zero. So they favoured the passing game heavily. But, you know, we know they can run if they have to. It's they can run with Josh Allen. I think that Singletary and Moss have probably been unspectacular for every year. Unspectacular, but not poor. No, no, but their usage has been low as well. Their usage has been yeah. low. They've been used sparingly. Moss has been stopped on the goal line a few times too many, and he's supposed to be the heavier, stronger back. You can probably look at both these teams and say there's comparable issues that they have in the running game. They don't really have proper power runners. Yeah, I don't know to what extent Mahomes is going to be available. And I think for that reason, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, I, I think the Bills could walk away with this. And I'm I'm going to say Bills by six. I just think that Mahomes will play, like I said. I, he'll find a way. He'll be on the field. The other players will step up around him and Chiefs by 10. I think if we had a fully fit Mahomes, I'd go as far as say Chiefs by 14. But I just think the way that the Bills operated both defensively and their O-line allowing Allen the time to throw, if Mahomes isn't 100% healthy, yeah, I think Bills by six, so... There we go. There's an opportunity to claw some ground back there, Joe. Interesting. Cool. Let's move on to the next one anyway. So the next game we are going to talk about. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus New Orleans Saints. Yeah. So no one likes to see the greats leave the game. And I don't think it's been officially announced yet, but we've seen the last of Breeze. That was Breeze's last game. There were rumours before the game and the way that he was on the field afterwards with Brady. It's It seems pretty certain that that was his last game. And I mean, you know, Breeze isn't all-time great. He's got to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. It seems that passing records are getting broken more and more these days. So whether some of the records that he's have will hold up forever, especially with Brady still playing, Brady will probably take most, if not all of them, eventually. But I mean, look, one of the all-time greats, it's sad to see him going out like that, really. Yeah, it is a shame because I was watching this game and... That didn't look like the breeze that we've seen for most of this season. It certainly didn't look like the breeze that played against Tampa Bay the other two times that they played this season. And yes, there's an element of the Bucks adapting their game after having gone against the Saints twice already and making the amends that they need to. But I, I think what was surprising to see from Breeze was the number of interceptions that were, were made and they're not all his fault, but there were too many there for a quarterback of his quality. Yeah, the interceptions were there. There were a couple that were weird. I mean, the one where Kamara was running a route and didn't even turn around. I mean, that's a miscommunication there. And, you know, it's a quarterback's job ultimately to get the plays out and communicate what's going on. But Breeze was clearly running a three-step play. And it looked like Kamara was expecting five or seven steps. So someone didn't listen, Breeze didn't execute the play right, Breeze didn't communicate the play right, who knows, but that, that, that's a weird one, you don't really see that one too much where there's just a massive communication difference there between two players who are normally on the same page. Yeah. There were probably one or two where you can definitely put it, you know, just a bad throw from Breeze, and it got to the point where he was kind of just forcing it towards the end. But look, you've got to say the Tampa Bay defense, this has been defense has been up and down all season, there's been times this season where I've been super hot on them, and when I've been super hot on them, they were playing like they played in the second half of this game. When you've got everyone firing on all cylinders, I mean, they're a great defense. Rookies like Anton Winfield Jr. Now, he should have been in the conversation for a defensive rookie of the year. He basically went AWOL in about two or three games, blue coverage, 
didn't look very good. You take those two or three games out, and he was one of the best safeties in the league, rookie or no rookie. Players like David, players like White, he had huge games on Sunday night. And, you know, even players who are perhaps not as big a names as they once were, players like Sue, players like Pierre Paul, they were rolling back for years. And if they play like that again, well, we'll come on to this a bit later, if they play like that again, they're going to give the uh, Packers one hell of a game. Well, we've seen what happens when they play like that. They stuffed the Packers first time round, and that was all on the defence. Their linebackers are so quick. They get to the quarterback so quickly. And I think that was partially what led Breeze to make some of those interceptions. Just knowing how quickly he needed to get rid of that ball forced him to make a few errors. And it all comes through from the quality of a secondary. When you've got players like Winfield Jr. out there who are going to make plays for you if you know the quarterback throws before the linebacker gets to him, you can trust your players in the secondary, which gives your linebackers that freedom to get to, you know, to blitz, to drop back, to do whatever they're going to do. And because you've got that kind of security blanket there, you can just get so much more creative with defensive play calling. And we really, really saw that in the second half of the game on Sunday. So that was something that I wanted to talk about, Joe. You know, whether what we witnessed last week was the players stepping up and elevating their game or was there a sort of strategy element behind what was happening? Did Bruce Arians do something different that we didn't see in the other two games or was it just a case of everyone up in their game for the playoffs? It's a good question. It's a bit of both. You've got to go with something a bit different from play calling because it clearly didn't work in those first two games. That game where it was, what, 38-3 where the Saints absolutely wiped the floor with the Bucks something wasn't working and that was mainly on the offense because the offense was terrible Brady got nothing going at all I think every play in the first half was like punt 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 fumble punt they played badly but there's a difference in play calling but the play calling and the plays that were being called were working better for the players and it was suiting them more and, and yeah and and in terms of form in terms of the way that they've been playing they absolutely stepped it up but they have been very streaky about week six I think that we had a bit of a kind of dispute here where I called out the box saying they were one of the best defenses in the league and you didn't really want to believe it at first, but I went through all the stats and then you kind of came round to it. And then I think like a week or two later, they just, they just got absolutely mugged off and it made me look a bit silly. You bought me a ticket to the hype train, Joe, and then you left me behind. It was ridiculous. Choo-choo. <laughs> so if they play like that, I'm going to say this before we go into the preview, but if they play like that, they'll beat the Packers. But let's go on to the Packers-Rams Packers, Packers -Rams game. We left this till last. Um, I think there's a little bit less to say about this one. It's not a huge shock how this game went. I thought that the Packers were never really never really uncomfortable. Would you agree with that as a fan watching? Completely agree. There wasn't a single turnover from the Packers in this game. I think they had complete control over the game and they realised they had complete control of the game pretty early on. And you could tell that by the number of plays that were happening in each drive. You know, Rodgers didn't feel the need to necessarily throw big bombs or to try and create big plays he was just happy to just move the chain bit by bit by bit because there wasn't really that much defensive pressure from the Rams so he could take his time they were clearly trying to get Aaron Donald out there and I mean you know he was really trying but he was not 100% and I'm not sure what he was I'm not sure if he was 50% 30% 70% or what but he was as ineffective as we've ever seen him play he just couldn't get any pressure going whatsoever and it, <sighs> The Rams looked better when he was off the field. And you would never say that about a fit Aaron Donald. No, I mean, it's what you highlighted last week, though. You know, you said all it would take would be a, a push in the ribs or something like that. You, there's ways to hold him back. And I think he had a specialised bit of kit made for him for to, to protect his ribs in this game. You know, when you're going to that extent, 
to get a player to play, they're not going to be operating at 100%. They just can't be. It's like going back to the Mike Tyson kind of thing of everyone's got a plan until you get hit in the face. Well, everyone's got a bit of kit until I get hit in the ribs. And yeah. like you can think that bit of kit is as good as you think it is. But those offensive linemen are smart guys and they know what they're doing. And if you're going to get up and under it or whatever. But in truth, Chaz, the way that he was in discomfort, I I, I don't think any bit of kit would have made any difference whatsoever. No, I agree. He, he, he was hurt. And I think that I think had that been a regular season game and the Rams who had already qualified for the playoffs, he wouldn't have played. If it had been an no early way. season game with the Rams at 1-0 or 1-1, he probably wouldn't have played. He was only playing because of a situation and the offense was kind of shorthanded with Cup being out. A fair play to Van Jefferson. He stepped up, seven targets, six catches, 46 yards. He made a couple of clutch plays. He had a touchdown. He made a few first downs as well. I think that if there's one small bright spark that the Rams could take from it, it's that their rookie looked good in that game, and it looks like he's got potential for the future. They've got a couple of decent offensive rookies this year, Cam Akers, Van Jefferson. You know, So there's definitely stuff to build on there. Bigger questions, though, with what's going to go on with the quarterback because I think the relationship between Goff and McVay is broken down a lot. And there was that in the kind of lead up to the previous game where Wolford was starting despite Goff suiting up. And so Goff could have gone, but McVay went with Wolford. So that will probably be a story through the offseason to see what's going on with those two. I mean, it must be tough for Rams fans, right? Because they lost out on the Super Bowl because Gurley was crocked. You know, arguably, that's that's why they lost... They haven't progressed to the next round here and Donald was done in and he's a big component of how they've got this far. It feels like each major playoff hurdle, there's a key totemic player that's out for the Rams that scuppers their chance of Super Bowl. But I mean, that's football, mate. And what would you rather be? Would you like rather be a Rams fan seeing player football? Would you rather be a Denver Broncos fan going... Seven and nine, and not seeing playoff football, and not getting good draft picks, or you know, like the Detroit Lions, and not getting a top draft pick. There's worse things to be than a Los Angeles Rams fan. You got a brand new stadium as well. You got some good rookies coming through. I don't cry tear for them. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to our predictions then. Right. So I'm going to go first on this one. It's caveated because you've got to kind of caveat these things. Buccaneers play like they did in the second half against the Saints. They will get to Aaron Rodgers. Despite how much respect and how much I like the Green Bay offensive line, it's a very good offensive line. They've got versatile players who can do lots of things, but they're such a dangerous defense. And if they play like they can, they'll rip this Green Bay Packers team apart. And so I'm going to assume that they are. And I'm going to say Tampa Bay by 10, because the one quarterback who would not be phased by going to Lambeau in the middle of winter is Tom Brady. It gets pretty cold in Massachusetts, and I know he's been down in Florida for a year, but we've seen Brady win in the snow in some big games previously, so he's not going to be worried about the Lambo freeze. I'm so glad you brought that up because I keep hearing this a lot, you know, coming into this game. Oh, it's going to be snowing up in Lambo and blah, blah, blah. Well, excuse me, Brady's played with Kronk at Massachusetts for goodness knows how many years. Like, they're not afraid of the cold. And actually, I think there's something out there that that says Brady's not lost a game when it's been colder than minus one degrees. So, you know, I don't think the weather's a factor there. I'm thinking back to kind of early games where like Vinatieri got the clutch field goal in the snow for the playoffs. I think what that was back in what 2004. They went on to win the Super Bowl that year. Brady can play in snow. He's not like you know California surfing beach boy Jared Goff who's probably only just thawed out back in California IA right now. Brady's going to be absolutely comfortable. 
and you know plays on the defense as well. I mean, Sue spent a lot of time in Detroit. It gets cold in Detroit. They're a Florida team, but they've got Northern still within that team. Yeah. What do I think, Joe? I was really, really impressed by the Packers O-line against the Rams. I know that the Rams weren't defensively all there and up for it, but I think the O-line has, weirdly enough, improved over time. I know Bakhtiari's been missing for a bit, but I think this new look O-line in terms of having to shift a few players around has started to cement and solidify. Well, you've had some versatile players who've had to play in positions they're maybe not used to starting in. They're capable of starting in, but now they've had a couple of starts there. They've got more comfortable in their roles. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that fills me with a bit of confidence. My fear is the speed of the linebackers without a shadow of a doubt, because our game totally hinges on Rodgers. Yes, we've got Jones, but we're not a team like the Rams who can just keep feeding Jones and get it to the end zone. We rely on Rodgers so, so heavily. And if we can't stop their linebackers getting to him, then we're, we are in trouble and we are going to lose and we'll lose like we did first time when we played them in the season. I'm going to back the boys though. I think the O-line looks solid. I think the run blocking, they're doing a much, much better job of than they were doing at the beginning of this season. And that's what really, really hurt us in that game against the Bucks. Jones went off. And I think as long as the run blocking's a little bit better, I think this O-line looks solid. I think they should be able to do enough to at least limit the Bucks from completely going off. And provided that Rodgers doesn't go throwing interceptions, I think that the Packers could win it. So I'm going to say Packers by five. So disagreeing on both games here. Wow. My favorite tweet of the last week has been Anton Winfield Jr., saying that he made some grown men in the Saints cry and he doesn't care. And that's for his pops back in 2009. And as a Vikings fan, you know, that gets me right in the feels. <laughs> so my head is all in for the Buccaneers, but my heart is as well. Unfortunately, no team has ever won Super Bowl in the home stadium. So they'll probably lose after going through if they do. But we'll leave that till next week. So, Joe, let's give a little bit of a competition bracket update, shall we? Yeah, talking about losing one game and your bracket's ruined and the Saints have Saints have done me a spot bother here. Yeah, I mean, I I should have changed my pick. I backed the Buccaneers in last week's show, but I said I wasn't changing them on my bracket because I wanted that I couldn't live with myself if the Saints had won and I missed out on that score multiplier. So I, I'm still, uh, it looks like, without a shadow of a doubt, we're going to have a new co-host uh, join us at some point next <laughs> season, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, Karen G has dropped right back after that stunning wildcard round. Didn't have a great divisional round, but we've got Scott P right up. I think Scott P is leading right now. Is that right, Charles? Yeah, he is. I think you're still in second. Yeah, but I've lost all multipliers now that the Saints are out. The gig's up. <laughs> but I'm only going backwards now. Look, all to play for. You can see how much a single game week can just shift everything. So good luck to those still in the running. And we look forward to speaking to whoever it's going to be come next season because it's, it's certainly not just going to be the two of us by the looks of it, Joe. It's certainly not. So next week would normally be Pro Bowl. I think even if it was Pro Bowl, we wouldn't talk about Pro Bowl. We might talk about the dodgeball, but the Pro Bowl game's garbage, isn't it? So what we're going to do instead, we're going to have an award show. We're going to talk about some of the best bits of the season, some awards for players, plays, coaches, whatever. We'll talk about the best and worst. I have a sneaky suspicion that 
in the worst award, we're going to see an old friend of ours from the Vikings pop up, Joe, do you reckon? I would not be surprised if there's a return of Drew Samuel watch. <laughs> he, he was he was last seen at a Burger King in St. Paul. <laughs> I, I think you're already getting the trophy made up for him now, even. I <laughs> yeah. think you're that, you're that certain the votes are coming in. So yeah, as Joe mentioned, we're going to be dishing out some awards. But look, if you've got any ideas or anything that you'd like our, our view on, on best or worst, by all means, we've got the usual social channels. Get it into us. Let us know what you'd like to hear about and we'll include it in the show. We'd love to hear your suggestions. Yeah, so drop a line to the show. Yeah, so just a quick recap. We're on Twitter at Playsheet Sports. We're on Facebook, which is also Playsheet Sports. Instagram is at Playsheet Podcast. And then, of course, there's our email address as well, which is playsheetpodcast at gmail.com so any of those ways get in touch with us let us know what you want to hear about we'll get it in the show next week we'll see you all next week